The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good takes. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, this is the Homance Chronicles, and I'm Sarah. I'm Nicole. And um, we have a hose of history this week. Uh, yay! Also. I know it's it's a long one, so I'm gonna jump right in. I'm looking at it because I didn't realize how long it was <laughs> until I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> um too late now i can't edit we cannot back this out we're not backing out may have to be a two-party y'all we'll find out <laughs> the strange thing is that there's 2666 words i have six, six in it oh dear and the 26 mm-hmm. firing off all them cylinders today right your voice sounds better than last time though are you feeling yeah. better it is feeling better. I'm sounding better. I'm almost at hundred percent. I feel like I'm like a 98%. Okay. Like I'm at the end of puberty. So. <laughs> Transitioning. Yeah. Just like a little <laughs> bit. Like now it just sounds like I smoke heavily, which I don't. So that's fun. <laughs> Before that, I sounded like one of the aunts from Simpsons, you know. You did. You did. <laughs> Or like Angela from 90 Day Fiance, if we have to go there. Right. Which one is she? Is she the blonde? She's, yeah, well, yeah, she's the older, elderly blonde, elderly. She's in her 50s. I'm an asshole. She's an older blonde lady. <laughs> Shut up, Nicole. <laughs> that um, met her man from Nigeria. And then. Right. She yeah, I know what you're talking about. She's yeah, heavier she set. She just lost a bunch of weight. Yep. And she uh -huh. got her boobs done and she got her face kind of done and her lips and her teeth are fucking fake and falling out of her head because she can't keep her dentures seen. But yeah, I sound like her. <laughs> She's a real <laughs> specimen. <laughs> if you guys are wondering, just look up Ugh. Angela 90 Day Fiance before and after. You'll get it. Yeah. It's one of those stories where you're like, oh, I'm so happy that she has taken her life in a direction where she's getting enough money that she feels as though she could take better care of herself or like, you know, get more confidence or whatever. I'm sure being on television does not help. In no, the, she's a fucking the, monster. In the breakdown. Yeah. However, she she did the typical thing. Went too far. Oh, 100%. Went way beyond too far. Yeah. Yeah, Ugh. I liken it to like my freshman year of college when I would meet those kids that were just so sheltered. Like this one chick never had Oreos in her life. Mom never let her have pop, nothing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. she joins the college world and gains 30 pounds mm -hmm. just from eating Oreos and things that she shouldn't be eating. Like we had meal plans and they had ice cream makers. Like they had this really extravagant shit and she wouldn't eat real food. She would just eat the shit that they made that she couldn't have when she was not in college. So, you know. It, it, yeah. To deprive people of just modern goodness, even though it is like toxic for you, it will result in 
an overcompensation. Oh yeah, the pendulum will swing too far. <laughs> and oh, but it has. <laughs> um. Okay, I will get us started on our whole of history today. Yeah. Who is Betty Davis? Oh shit! I'm here for this one. Yeah, there's actually two Betty Davises. I'm doing the Betty Davis that spells her name B-E-T-T-E, not B-E-T-T-Y, mm-hmm. and is white. The other mm. Betty Davis is black. Yeah, okay, so, so we're doing the white Betty Davis, okay. We're doing the white Betty Davis today. The white formal and, Betty Davis. Yes, and um, I am not a film buff. I did take a couple of classes in school, though, because I had like art degrees on filmmaking and movie genres and script writing and stuff like that. But I I definitely have not done the due diligence of going back and watching these women that we talk about. And this story actually kind of gave me some like oomph to maybe go on to. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let it rip because I don't. I didn't know there was a white version of Betty Davis. Also, I that's just who, you. That's I who that. um, the song Betty Davis Eyes is about. See, I'm so fucking not with it. I got. I wish you guys could hear her laughing her ass off. Oh at me right now. yeah, I can hear myself laughing. I mean, um, that's neat and all, but I enjoy it too. <laughs> So yeah, the reason I I chose Betty Davis is because I heard the song Betty Davis Eyes in the car and I was like, hmm, there's a story there. Oh, there's a song. There's a story. (laughs) So you're not fucking wrong, though. Right. So if you're not familiar, Betty Davis Eyes was the jam. It was so good. It was from 1981. And uh, it was by Kim Carnes, at least the one that's popular, the one that we know. And it was on Kim, Kim Carnes's album, Mistaken Identity. And in 1992, or I'm sorry, 1982, she won two Grammy Awards for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Okay. So you got to sing it for us. Oh, she just denied me and then she started laughing and y'all couldn't hear any of that. I'm truly not going to sing Betty Davis Eyes because it's got a um an electronic kind of sound to it. At least for 1981, it was electronic-y. And the 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 voice that Kim Carnes has is like raspy and um melancholy okay i'm none of these things <laughs> <laughs> well now i have an like now i want to go and see if we can post this with the actual song so that people will understand what we're fucking talking about <laughs> you not know the song i can't play songs just by lyrics i have to hear the melody how many songs are really? there? come on huh? now you know my songs are. I just there? Betty Davis eyes. Really? I'm sure I would know it as soon as I heard just a lick of one of the things. I'm not good with matching songs and lyrics without hearing them. 
Oh my god. And one of my cats is blasting snot all over the plastic on the windows. He's sneezing so bad. Oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> we'll keep going. Let's just Yes. Keep- because I have like 700 more pages to go and I'm on line one. I know, so let's go. What are you doing? Jackie DeShannon <laughs> recorded the original uh, Betty Davis Eyes in 1974. Now, Jackie DeShannon, she's known for what the world needs now is love and put a little love in your heart. Yes, I know those songs. Okay, okay so then Donna Weiss and Jackie DeShannon wrote and recorded the original together after seeing Betty Davis in a 1942 film called Now Voyager. Well, so at one point later in life, Betty Davis, when she was 73, wrote a note to all three of them, Kim Carnes, um, Jackie DeShannon and Donna Weiss to thank them for making her cool in the eyes of her granddaughter. And Kim later performed the song for Davis live as a part of a tribute to her. Well, I've got chill bumps. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Talk about women empowering women. Right. And so Betty Davis's eyes were exaggerated, like almond shape, um, so some people think that it was because of a, a result of her autoimmune thyroid condition, which is Graves disease, which is what I had. Hmm. And um, when I was diagnosed with Graves disease, they would take this thing and it looked like um, a math tool yeah, <laughs> or something. And they like put it on the sides of your face to measure if your eyes were bulging or not. <laughs> and so... There is like thyroid eye disease. Yeah, where um, they like pop out of people's heads. Yeah, yeah. So people were saying like that her eyes may have been a result of that because they're a little bit like protruding, I, like bulgy. Yeah, but they're not like bulgy in a in a weird way. way. They're not bulgy. No. So like we had a teacher, remember that teacher from our yeah. high school? Yeah. That doesn't those are not the vibes I'm getting while I look at Betty's face. No. So I think she no. just had I think she just had big wide set eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Like her actual eye, like you could see more of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is, they are out there. (laughs) Right. But it's not like, again, it's not like the thyroid condition. No, they didn't look bulgy to me. So I didn't find any uh, reputable sources that said that that was the reason. Um, So Betty was an American actress with a career spanning more than 50 years in a hundred acting credits. So she was often referred to as the first lady of the American screen. Uh, So yeah, she created a new kind of like screen heroine. She was a liberated woman, you know, she, (laughs) she was known as an actress that would play a variety of difficult and powerful roles because, um, she was continuously setting like a new standard for women on the big screen. And so she would play these people who were unsympathetic, like cynically humorous, ironic, like not these soft, demure kind of characters. And that's what she was known for was her range in these performances and film dramas, because she was 
in contemporary crime melodramas, historical films, suspense horror films, comedies, um, mostly known for her romantic dramas. Yeah. So she is a recipient of two Academy Awards and she was the first, they actually said she was the first thespian to accrue 10 nominations. I think they said thespian because she's, otherwise you would call her an actress, but she was Mm -hmm. the first actor and or actress. So she was the first person to accrue 10 nominations. Fuck yeah, women. (laughs) Oh yeah, Betty with an E. Yeah, so she. My mom's dog's name, by the way. It is. It is. So she. Um, I know. I know. So she had um, a lot of fights though with studio bigwigs and um, what year was she starting in the studio? Because what was it? We'll call her. We'll call her nineteen twenties and beyond. Yeah. So, because her career spans six decades. So, yeah. So, but like, she started when Hollywood studios were still being like influencing government policies and vice versa. Oh, yeah. So, she was definitely involved in that. And it's crazy. She was the first human, not dude, but woman. (laughs) I imagine it was hard for them to contain her, essentially. Yeah. She had some big battles. <laughs> yeah, because she was like, fuck you. No, right. you don't get to treat me like this. No. Right, right. So we'll get goes. into it. We'll All right. Get into cool. it. Yes. So she was born Ruth Elizabeth Davis and known from early childhood as Betty. Betty is a nickname of Elizabeth because her and her mom both shared the, the first name Ruth. So what? Yeah. Which was what my mom wanted to call me when I was born. Really? Still- Ruth? I really wish I would have become a Ruth instead of a Sarah. I'm just going to tell you right now. Ruth would have had so much more umph. Like they didn't let me surf. They didn't let me snowboard professionally. They didn't do, I mean, let me do professional. I couldn't race car. Give me a cool name, please. Oh, I'm like, and you think that because you'd be named Ruth, you'd be able to do those things. But no, you, you still wouldn't be able to, but you'd have an old school name like Ruth. Yeah. And I'd love it. <laughs> Uh, so Betty was born on April 5th, 1908 in Lowell, Massachusetts. In 1915, her parents separated and surprise, surprise, like all of our other stories, just before her 10th birthday, Betty's father left the family by choice or did he pass away choice? Like they got, they separated, they got a divorce and, um, then Betty's father still just, yep. 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 So honestly, I I honestly would one time like to come across a story that we do where the dad is the one that sticks it out. I feel like (laughs) it's my mission at this point to find a hoe of history who had a father figure, period. (laughs) Like generational trauma. (laughs) The generations don't go back too far. (laughs) no they do not no they certainly don't oh shit for people who can trace their lineage back into you know the united states that far like do you know what kind of trauma your grand grandmother situation had to go through in order to know what you're going through now no because those bitches don't talk about anything (laughs) 
No, they fucking don't. They don't know how to talk about it, first of all, because no. it's like such a moot point. Oh, I feel, but you can't know about it. Right. It's wrong. So. Right. So, no, we don't know. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's funny. But it's not funny. The amount of secrets. Um, okay. So her mom had little money. So she Stocking. sent, yeah. So she sent Betty and her sister to boarding school in Massachusetts with whatever money that she did have, because clearly she was not going to try to be a single mom and well, raise I mean, them at home. It's easier to just send them off. Imagine the heartbreak. She wasn't, her partner didn't die. Oh, mm-mm. You just like the enough. rest of them left you them weren't good enough broke yeah you weren't good enough so i'm leaving you oh god imagine in the 20s that would be so disastrous sorry I keep cutting off keep going well i don't know if um if that was really the case because like i said they separated and got divorced I don't, I don't really know who said who called the divorce exactly but you're not you're still technically a father though like you don't just because you're not a husband doesn't mean you're not a father. But apparently those two went together back in this time. They don't go together. That we're finding. Um, they were, they were just, not they, synonyms. They, yeah, they, they just quit everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm just going to boop. I am no longer responsible for anything in this arena. Bye. Yeah. And another thing that we keep finding is Maybe that. Maybe this these... is where they find the audacity. Sorry. I hate to go there, but. Ah. <sighs> find it in the past so here's another thing that we keep coming across in our stories as well is that these young children are making lifelong decisions at the age of 10 or whatever they're like they're children and they're like i've set the course for my life yes i will be this person from now on oh god so what was she like 12 13 how old she was they just said that she was young and she she decided to change the spelling of her name from Betty with a Y to Betty with an E after Betty Fisher, a character in a French novel. So she I was still, it. she was still in school. She was young. I, I definitely not an adult yet. <laughs> I get it. Oh, you like, she, she was like, I'm changed it. She, yes. I'm Betty B E T T E now. Wait, hang on. She <laughs> filled out whatever maybe pseudo she filled how do i know i know i'm making a story up now i'm imagining like a six-year-old going up with a massive piece of paper like i'd like to be called this now and everybody like yep checks out stamp and we're done (laughs) (laughs) you may refer to me as this person they they truly do make their own decisions 10 and above it's like they're an adult now i mean it's almost Um, kind of the same now in some families unfortunately I anyway. I can't not as commonly is like the stories that we've talked about where they're no. like oh I'm gonna quit school oh I'm changing <laughs> my name oh I'm gonna you know like I'm gonna work <laughs> now instead and they're making these decisions because like they have to they help have the to. family survive yeah. I mean she didn't have to change her name for that but um <laughs> so in 1921 Betty her sister and her mom moved to New York City. And her mom used the children's tuition money to enroll in Clarence White School of Photography and got an apartment on 144th Street at Broadway. So, yep. Nothing to do with the kids. Nope. So her mom then worked as a portrait photographer. (laughs) Yes. While Betty attended Cushing Academy in Massachusetts. 
And that's where she met her future husband, Harmon O. Nelson, known as Ham. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> known as Ham. Ham. Graduating <laughs> from Cushing Academy, Betty enrolled in John Murray Anderson's dramatic school. So in 1926, she's 18. She saw a production of Henrik Isbin's The Wild Duck and later called that the reason she wanted to go into theater was because of an actress named Peg Entwistle, who was in The Wild Duck. Um, And she just basically had kind of um, flights of fancy. She was she liked to fantasize, but Betty did about what it would be like to be an actress and so she would audition an interview for roles but was never really taken seriously like people didn't think that her attitude about it was serious enough she was often described as insincere and frivolous so oh that's a bummer yeah so she then auditioned for a stock theater company in rochester new york And the person that she uh, auditioned for was not impressed with her, but did give her a one week stint playing the part of a chorus girl. So that was like her first paid job. Like she was a chorus girl on a play. And um, then around 21 years old, so in 1929, she made her Broadway debut in Broken Dishes. So then that helped her land other Broadway um, roles, but she was set on Hollywood. Like I said, had kind of this fantasy in her mind and at 22 moved to Hollywood. And uh, it was 1930 at the time. And she was screen testing for Universal Studios. Her and her mom traveled by train from New York to Hollywood. Oh my fucking God. That'd have to have been like a two and a half week fucking trip, right? I don't know. I guess but, I just, I think about like, it took Amtrak, it took me four hours to get to Chicago on Amtrak one night and it should have only taken an hour and a half. So I can't imagine what the fuck it took them to get to and fro. I know. Wow. I know. But the funny thing is that I guess how else would they get there? Right. But the funny thing is that you account for how long the travel was. And there's a story that says that Betty was later recounted, later recounted that her surprise that nobody from the studio was there to meet her when she got there. (laughs) I'm appalled. But then the studio But then the studio said that they had an employee who waited for her, but left because he saw no one who looked like an actress. Right. Guess he wasn't looking for big ass eyes. Nope. Sure wasn't. Well, and if he saw big ass eyes, he was like, nope. She sure isn't. isn't. (laughs) So she fails her first screen test. um, And was used in several screen tests for other actors. And she had this observation about herself uh, during the screen test that she's the most, this quote unquote, this is what she says. 
I was the most Yankeeist, most modest virgin who ever walked the earth. They laid me on a couch and I tested 15 men. They all had to lie on top of me and give me a passionate kiss. Oh, I thought I would die. Just that I would die. Okay. So is this the first, is this the first, like the, uh, what's that couch? I don't, what are you talking about? It's not the tryout couch. It's the, you know, the famous leather couch in porn. Oh, I don't know what they call them in porn, but I don't remember what it's called either. The um, audition couch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever the fuck. So, so she basically laid on a couch. She was the first one. <laughs> so, um, oh my God. You know, I know. And so then she went into a second test and <clears throat> it was hastily dressed in an ill fitting costume with a low neckline. And she remembered that the director loudly commented to the crew, quote, what do you think of these dames who show their chest and think that they can get jobs? Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, so eventually, somebody at Universal Studios actually thought that she had lovely eyes and that she would be suitable for a movie called Bad Sister in 1931. So that's when she made her film debut. Um. However, the Hollywood is still not very kind to her, at least the men in Hollywood, not very kind to her. She apparently was um, an acquired taste because, wow. you know, sassy. one, well, she was sassy, she, she but also <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's one of those people who didn't take no for an answer. I mean, she was sassy, but not as sassy in the beginning as she gets later on. But it because of like her look. um. They didn't think of her as like a movie star. And one of the um, executives said that she had about as much sex appeal as Slim Somerville. Oh, my which was goodness. one of the film's co-stars, obviously. I a mean, male. like she she's not. I get it. I get where they're coming from. Because she doesn't look like sexy and inviting and alluring. She's not one of those ones that's like. I'm enticed by you. Right? No. Uh, no, I mean, if you were going to just put her on screen for her looks, that wasn't going to do the trick. But yeah, the fact no. is that she had a lot of depth to her. And I went through like the range of roles that she played. And she could like embody these personalities. Oh, and sure. so her look actually helped her become super popular because it aided yes because it aided in her being able to really become the women that she was playing that makes a lot of i mean yeah that makes sense it's just it's crazy right so six small films later betty's (laughs) contract with universal was not renewed She wanted to go back to Broadway, but then got a call from Warner Brothers. And in 1932, she signed a seven-year contract with Warner Brothers. So the film, The Man Who Played God in 1932, landed Betty on the path to stardom. And this is when thoughts about her look started to change. The Saturday Evening Post wrote, 
quote, she is not only beautiful, but she bubbles with charm. So uh, she just had to get those six small films under her belt real quick. Just a couple portfolio pieces. Yep. And (laughs) then um, she uh, lent out to, she was lent out from Warner Brothers to RKO for a role of Mildred in Of Human Bondage. So this Of Human Bondage was in 1934 and that's like her first really big hit, right? Yeah. And then that led to her role in Dangerous in 1935, which led her to a nomination for a Best Actress Oscar. So she was the first Warner Brothers actress to win that award. Wow. Yeah. So during this time... She also got married to Harmon Ham 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 <laughs> in 1932 in Arizona. Uh, their marriage was scrutinized by the press, though, because he only earned a hundred dollars a week, which in 2020, like 2020 or 2020 dollars, that is one thousand eight hundred and eighty-five dollars a week. What's wrong with so, that? Well, because compared to her. She brought home a thousand dollars a week in income, which would have been about almost nineteen thousand dollars a week. Got so it. his eighteen hundred to her nineteen thousand per week created this issue. Not with them necessarily, or I shouldn't say with not with else. Betty, but with everybody else, and um, that it wasn't uncommon for women in Hollywood to actually earn more than their husbands. Um, But her husband still did want to like prove something. And so he refused um, Betty to buy a house until he could afford to pay for it himself. So there was still like, you know, traditional gender roles happening. However, Betty was like unbothered. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. She's like, all right, man, whatever you want, I'll go shit. <laughs> right, right. You want to fucking buy a house to show all these people you can buy a house? Okay, that's cool. Right. She's like, all right, whatever. I'll keep my money. Listen, um, I made decisions at 10 that were like life changing. Okay, so this is nothing. <laughs> Do what you will. Carry uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, during her marriage with him, though, she willingly chose to have several abortions for the sake of her career. And um, I love it, that. Well, I I went on to a whole offshoot. Just yeah. hold on. So since she was the breadwinner for her entire family, her mother, sister, and her husband, yeah. she decided to have abortions. Um. So, if she'd had a child in 1934. She told her her biographer that she would have missed the biggest role in her life, and um, that many other roles may not have followed. And so she basically was like, "I didn't miss any of these roles, and I didn't miss having a family." I just wish there was some sort of preventative, but I'm with it. So she says, "Or well, she did have kids later in life, though." Just. So, you know, but so then I go down this whole path of, huh, 
That's an uh-huh. interesting way because I also was like preventative, you know? Yeah. Um, turns out, according to this other article that I read, and I think it was from Vanity Fair, there <laughs> an anonymous actress once said, abortions were our birth control. Oh, so it was probably her. It was it was common procedure in Hollywood from the 1920s to the 1950s. So in old Hollywood, abortions were far more standard and far more accessible than they are today. They were like aspirin or appendectomies. Oh, maybe that's why there's such a big. I mean, I understand because we've covered this where birth control wasn't a thing (laughs) until later 1900s. So I can understand where people are using that as a tool or a method because that's all they know. Doesn't mean I agree with it. But if you look at it from a modern perspective, she was using the same reasoning for Mm -hmm. not wanting to have children. It was Mm -hmm. just she didn't have the tools. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm with it. I just had to verbalize that one all out. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I wanted to also note the difference that Betty made those willingly choice. Like she made those choices willingly. Whereas there were a lot of other women whose didn't necessarily, they were forced or pushed into making those decisions because old Hollywood was very much controlled by men and women's bodies were not technically their own. Um, If you were going to be working for an MGM or a Paramount or Warner brothers or anything like that. So um. You know, it's known that if you were a woman back in that time, then you needed to play along like you were a man. Oh, yeah. And um, I found a <laughs> I found a, um, a quote that references a previous hope of history that we covered. Remember when you covered Miss Tallulah Bankhead? Oh, yeah. Miss Tallulah. Mm-hmm. So this in the article, it says. In the 1930s, vamp and man-eating thesbian Tallulah Bankhead got, <laughs> That's a, <my> bitch. <laughs> yeah, got abortions like other women got permanent we- waves. <laughs> <laughs> I am not surprised based on the conversations we had around Tallulah. <laughs> uh, so her, the biographer who, who wrote Miss Tallulah Bankhead is the one who said that. Lee Israel abortions like other women got permanent waves. Unreal. Um, okay. That's what they knew. Yep. So back to Betty. So despite her success, Warner Brothers continued to offer Betty unsatisfactory roles. So in 1936, she challenged the studio by going to England to make movies. Uh, however, she knew that she was breaching her contract. So she actually fled to Canada to avoid legal papers being served on her. <laughs> I love how Canada is just everybody's like, don't come after me. Right. And (laughs) then eventually Davis brought her case to court in Britain, hoping to get out of her contract. And Betty explained her viewpoint to a journalist saying that I, she goes, I knew that if I could continue to appear in any more mediocre pictures, I would have no career left worth fighting for. (laughs) Good for her. So of course, Jack Warner sued her. And she was forced, she was forced to honor her contract. And when Jack Warner testified in court, he was asked, uh, he was asked whatever part you choose to call upon her to play. 
If she thinks she can play it, whether it is distasteful and cheap, she has to play it. And Warner replied with, yes, she must play it. Wow. So then Betty lost the case and returned to Hollywood in debt and without income to resume her career. And a shitty one at that. She has a few, she has a few comebacks. Um, So actually upon her return, she was offered a new contract and better roles. So she did get a little something out of it. And then that's when she won her second Oscar for Jezebel in 1938. Okay. So so she basically like, I don't know. She was basically told, here's the shit under the stick. You get to lick this for the rest of your life. And then she ended up making it out of that. Mm -hmm. Good for her. Yep. So then after that, she received, um, Oscar nominations for the next five years in a row. (laughs) Yeah. Bad bitch. (laughs) Yeah. But then throughout all of this abortions and fleeing the country and (laughs) debt and legal issues, her and her husband got divorced. Mm. Yes. Are we surprised? No. In one of the, one of the sources, it said their romance fizzled out. And I was like, hmm. How about, about how about they weren't together much? I'm gonna <laughs> guess. How about it wasn't a realistic relationship? How's that? <laughs> Fix so your then, headline for you. <laughs> right. So then uh pretty quickly thereafter, her second husband, Arthur Farnsworth, he was a dentist son from New England, and she met him a year later in 1939. So she got divorced in 1938. They met Arthur in 1939. A dentist's son. Yeah. She <laughs> described him as having an easy sense of humor and charm. Wait, was being a dentist's son? I don't know. I feel like you don't today announce, hi, I'm so-and-so. My dad's a dentist. Like, it's not that prestigious of a role anymore. But it, I think it's still a respectable role, right? I think that if you were a son of any kind of doctor at that time, you were high class. Expressing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just saying compared to modern times, it's not as prestigious. Well, the reason that I'm saying that he was a dentist's son is because that's what it said in the article. No, I I understand. But what he really was is just an assistant manager of an inn. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean. Was he using his dad's clout? And that's like no longer clout to be a fucking dentist. So that wouldn't have passed. <laughs> yes, he worked at the lodge in Sugar Hill in New Hampshire. Oh, God, you loser. Sorry. <laughs> so Betty loved actually going to the lodge. And she would say like that they were kind local people who welcomed her. And they just treated her like she was one of them and not this like famous Hollywood actress. Is she the kind of person that would like bop others on the top of the head? You're so good. So I think she genuinely was like wanting to be treated the same. I hope so. That's why she kept marrying these men who were like not on the way same level as her. her. Way below. Yeah. Way, way below. So their marriage, though, was short, um, but it was happy. It Well, it's not short for why you think it, he actually died suddenly at the age of 35. 
So I know. The universe was like, not today, bitch. <laughs> nope. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, no. That's terrible. Universe, <laughs> you don't need to kill somebody to watch out for Betty. Um, so he he fell down the stairs like a couple of months before he died. And um, he ended up having a blood clot that was undetected and it caused disease oh, cells. No. He had yeah. a rough go, man. At 35, you take a fall down the stairs, and next thing you know, I'm getting blackouts and fucking. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. So he had actually fallen on the road, fracturing his skull, and oh, he was, that's he was found to be unconscious. And so Betty was apparently hysterical with grief. I understand, mm-hmm. not because I've been through it, but like she probably had no idea. Mm-mm. what happened and then he was just gone oh that's a bummer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well assistant so, manager yeah so in between husband number two and husband number three uh she had continued to gain a reputation of being difficult to work with however she was still setting a new precedent for women so by 1942, she was the highest paid woman in America. What a badass. I know. I know. For how long? I don't know for how long. I'm wondering if there was a stat. Not, I get it. No, I don't. Well, I didn't dig into it. Fair. So I'm not sure for how long she was the, long, the highest paid woman in America, but she did contribute to uh, the war effort by helping organize the Hollywood canteen during World War, World War II for soldiers who were coming through L.A. And um, she transformed a once abandoned nightclub into an inspiring entertainment facility. Mm-hmm. So um, she said mm-hmm. that there were few accomplishments in her life that she was sincerely proud of. And the Hollywood canteen was one of them. Good for her. Um, so in 1980, m- much later down the road, though, she was awarded the Distinguished Civilian Service Medal, um, which is the Defense Department's highest civilian award for running the Hollywood Canteen. That's so badass. So then if we go back to the the original time, right? So she's she's married to Farnsworth in 1940. He dies in 1943. Uh, 1942, though, she's highest paid woman. She's doing all this philanthropic work. (laughs) (laughs) Philanthropy. (laughs) Yeah, that stuff. (laughs) Philanthropy. You know, taking care of your patriots over here. Right, right. So then after that, um, from 1945 to 1949, she she had some professional setbacks due to some personal changes. So changes. This this is this gets real sad. Um, oh, I know. Excited. It, it truly her life, the waves, man, <laughs> they come God. and go. They Water are up rip. and down. So what? So she then, her dad in night. What? Her, dad, her dad leaves. I'm trying to think of all the major waves. <laughs> I know we're only like in her 30s, Tons. I think, <laughs> at this point. Um, 
1945, she marries artist William Grant Sherry, who is her third husband. And she said that, again, she was attracted to him because he didn't know who she was. So he wasn't intimidated by her. And they got married two years later. And when she was 39, she gave birth to her daughter, Barbara Davis Sherry. So 39, huh? Yes. That Mm -hmm. is a no from me, dog. Right now, you can get fucked. That ain't happening. No. Yeah. So she said in her memoirs that she became so absorbed in motherhood that she considered retiring from acting. Um, However, she continued to make films, but her relationship with her daughter suffered as a result. And her relationship with Barbara, whose nickname is BD, deteriorated. And um, Davis also, or I should call her Betty, also lost popularity with um, cinematic audiences. And um, she was starting to get heavily criticized. Um, And her husband, who... uh, we called an artist also used to be in the Navy and he had a reputation as being a womanizer um, to the point where his own mother warned Betty that he could be cruel. So it's assumed that uh, she was subjected to physical abuse basically since the moment that they were married and that his outbursts and temper only got worse So um, while she was on film sets, he would become angry and put fear into everybody. And it it caused Betty to be worried about her own daughter's safety. Um, So eventually she did file for divorce. And um, takes one fucking piece of shit to ruin everything. I know. So in 1950, they're divorce clause actually included a legal statement offering to pay her former husband alimony on the condition he stayed away from her and BD. Wow. How about we put up a restraining order and not pay the man who victimized you for fucking however long he did. God, I fucking hate this place sometimes. Continue. This place, meaning the general world. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Just all of it. I'm tired. I want to go home. Yeah. So that was her third marriage over and her career was kind of downward spiraling. Um, so later, though, in 1950, after she got that divorce and everything out of the way, she married her fourth and final husband. Like she takes no time between these marriages. Like I had to keep looking at the dates over and over because I was like, wait, each time it's like less than a year. Yeah. That's how they did it. You know, that's all that trauma. uh, (laughs) That's how trauma resolves itself. (laughs) I'm just going to marry you now. (laughs) Right. It's crazy. Um, So her fourth and final husband was American film and television actor Gary Fred Merrill. So they starred together in All About Eve in 1950. And so that was kind of like her big comeback after that five years of shit, basically. Five years of an asshole. Yes. And um, that's when she received her eighth Academy Award nomination. Yeah, bitch. 
And so her <laughs> new husband, Gary, formerly Gary. adopted. We love Gary's. Yes. We love ourselves a Gary. Yes. So Gary formally adopted her daughter, BD. We love a Gary. Come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, then they actually adopted two more children together. My heart. Yes. So full. <laughs> yes. So they adopted Margot in 1951 and Michael in 1952. So then her and her husband starred together in a murder mystery film. Um, and Betty kind of was in semi-retirement, but then like threw herself back into work again after Margot, the daughter that they adopted, became severely ill and was diagnosed with irreparable da- brain damage that had occurred at birth. Come on. I know. So Come Margot. On. Margo had to live in an institution. She couldn't be cared for at home. And then the marriage started to crumble under the pressure. And um, then it's suggested again that Betty was subjected to domestic violence and that Gary was a borderline alcoholic. So the couple got divorced in 1960. Um, Betty had said that she considered her fourth marriage to be her final chance to find love and happiness. However, it turned into the darkest years of her life. Oh, no. Like, oh, it's good. Oh, it's bad. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's bad. Like every five years. It happens so fast. It's like, but also it's like yo-yo dieting, but your emotions. It's crazy. Um, oh. So af- after the end of her fourth marriage, she continued to still act and uh, made a, one of her classic films of her career. So in 1962, she actually went into the horror genre horror genre horror. the horror you gotta say it like you're from jersey <laughs> the only thing i like about jersey is the fact they have the funniest accents on the fucking planet yes they do <laughs> um so she went into the horror film whatever happened to baby jane and so it was um capturing audiences similar to like an alfred Hitch- hitchcock audience you know um so in total, she was in more than 100 films. She changed the way Hollywood looked at actresses. And in 1977, she was the first woman to be honored with the American Film Institute's Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, so she was also the first woman to be president of the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences. And at the age of 75, Betty had a mastectomy due to breast cancer. And then nine days later, she suffered a stroke. So Good fucking God, despite her failing health, she continued to act until her death. So Betty passed away in 1989 in France. Um, now, one of the things that I didn't talk about much is there was this rivalry that was going on between her and Joan Crawford. <laughs> and one of us needs to do Joni. I think it's time for us to do Joan Crawford. I, she's on the list. She's we've danced list. around her, but she seems to be connected with like every single person we've chatted about so far. So I think it might be time. But seriously, it was like a well-known rivalry between the two of them. <laughs> um, but I didn't get into it much. Um, there was enough about Betty's life that had us rocking and rolling there. Oh, yeah. So, th- however, despite their... I don't know, rifts and differences, they did have one thing in common. And that's that 
both of them had their eldest daughters write shocking tell-all books about them. (laughs) So Christina Crawford, she wrote the book Mommy Dearest. Which was? Which was about Joan Crawford. And it depicted her adopted mother as abusive, alcoholic, prone to rage, and was published a year after Joan died. Um, I remember watching Mommy Dearest as a young child. My mom, my dad worked nights, and so my mom was home watching the two girls, myself and my sister. And she was in the shower or something, and she came out, and I was glued to it. She's like, are you watching Mommy Dearest? And I said, yeah. She goes, it's a scary movie. Be careful. I said, all right. That woman scared the fucking shit out of me. No joke to this day. Wire hangers will make me think about that movie. Fucking can't do it. Blows me away. I know the wire hanger reference. However, I never saw the movie. If you ever have an opportunity, I, I recommend it just because it's a staple in Hollywood. It knowing all the history and everything, it just makes it crazier because I know right. she didn't hold back. She didn't hold back at all. Hunter P, that woman is batshit crazy. I'm just saying. I mean, it, it, I assume there's some craziness there considering the amount of rivalries that she had with other women in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, so Betty's daughter, BD, <laughs> uh, she released her own book called My Mother's Keeper in 1985. I remember that one too. Um, and it portrayed Betty as a ruthless bully who faked attempted suicides for sympathy. And not only did BD release this while her mother was still alive, but released it on Mother's Day. <laughs> and she did it just like a couple of months after Betty went under underwent her mastectomy and suffered a stroke that had nearly killed her. My goodness. So um, Betty's assistant, Catherine Cermak, uh, was her assistant from 1979 until her death in 1989. She told Fox News that um, Betty was so humiliated by this story that her daughter was saying that she didn't want to live anymore. And. um her assistant Catherine was saying like she didn't understand why her daughter portrayed her that way um because they always seemed to have a loving relationship she was like she definitely loved her and um obviously this assistant was not around though when bd was growing up so whether there's truth to it or not who knows but there's all these rumors that um bd's husband was like in a trucking business and it, they were going bankrupt and it was like all about money and all nice. this stuff Always and fun. um right right and um so betty basically disinherited bd and Ooh. um yeah and bd currently runs a ministry in virginia so <laughs> Right. And oh, by the way, she's. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll we're not sure if it's a ministry or cult or what, but clearly somebody who's willing to extort their mother to try to get money because 
their husband has a failing business. I just the hip hop. Um, I, I also wonder if this woman has all of that trauma, generationally speaking, jammed up all in it, and she doesn't know how to do her life, and so this is how she's lifing. I'm sure there's a part of that that's true too. Yeah. Like yeah. Maybe she's angry at somebody else, but she's taking it out on her mom. She did, I'm sure she did not have the best life considering her mom had multiple abusive partners. Couldn't be around because she was on film sets or if she was on film sets, she took her daughter with her and that still didn't keep her from all of the drama and whatever. So like there's, I'm sure a lot of interesting tales and generational trauma that she did not deal with and got exposed to even more on top of that. However, um, to say that your mother faked a- attempted suicides for sympathy, I, I'm not That's sure. An aggressive if, statement. It is. It like is. It's aggressive. It is. But at the same time, like. Did it happen? I don't know. It happens out there in the world, you know? Like, people are awful. So, I don't know. I don't know. what. I don't know. Who knows? They do. So, um, right. So, (laughs) Betty's assistant and her adopted son are co-executors of her estate. Um, And so, her oldest daughter bd who wrote the book ended up not participating getting anything like the the whole book idea backfired if that if her goal was to get money because she would have gotten money if she would have just stuck it out i mean her mom had just went underwent a mastectomy and suffered a stroke i know she's like out the door guys give her right. <laughs> Give me 10 more minutes, okay? Just 10. She'll be done soon. Just 10 more minutes. Like, fuck. Couldn't wait till she was dead? No, we cannot. Could not! <laughs> uh, well, with Joan Crawford, her daughter um, was omitted from the will, but her daughter didn't put out Mommy Dearest, I don't think, until after she had died. Yeah. Yeah, no, she didn't. Until so there was, there was, that was a messed up relationship prior to the book yeah oh that yep. is the story of betty davis Dang. in a very compressed very fast manner because i had six pages white betty with an e davis <laughs> yes. and so i got information from betty davis.com wikipedia vanity fair fox news and and meetings it's a blog okay i'm in um, but man, just even looking at the Wikipedia, I was like, oh, this is an undertaking. I left you know, a lot out. You know, sometimes all the, all the stuff in the Wikipedia isn't necessary. No. And of course, on the Betty Davis website, in her biography section, it's not as colorful. We have this conversation a lot, right? How Wikipedia fills in the color. 
And so I had to find the middle ground between the two where it was like one was just glancing over things and the other was like digging into like what she had for breakfast the day of the thing that happened. And I'm like, oh my God. Is there no balance here, people? Nope. You get one or the other. We got a spectrum. I was reading and it got to Betty's fourth husband. I'm like, wait, where were, where was two and three? So then I had to go searching. So the andmeetings.com, that blog, it's the title of the story or article was historic meetings when Betty Davis met her husband. <laughs> so I was like, wait, when did all these guys happen? <laughs> Well, I appreciate your due <laughs> diligence today. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then how she was like choosing to willingly have abortions, but I couldn't figure out if it, if that was if that was the, the thing or not. Like it just there was one sentence and it said during her marriage, she had many abortions or something in period. And I'm like, why? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Why? <laughs> I was like was she forced to because she was in Hollywood did she just not want to have kids like what's the deal so then that's when I went down the whole Hollywood abortion train <laughs> oh god I mean I appreciate the fact that she went down the train though because it needed to it happen. difference between she felt forced to in order to keep her career going because men were forcing her to or she did it on her own accord right and everything i read basically was that she did it on her own accord because she was the breadwinner so there was a like a, there was a lot of pressure and sure it still was like male dominated and everything but like but we get it she could have chosen a different path it, it doesn't seem like she was well, you know have. held down yeah no they didn't have it's the same thing as us taking birth control or using a condom today in my world. It was the tool they had at the time. So I'm not saying it was a good tool, just saying you can't fault her for having that one tool that she had. Mm-hmm. 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 So mm-hmm. what uh what do you got for the Attagirl category we got this week? Atta girls are where we like to pat ourselves in the back for something good that we've done or something good that's happened to us. And mine is that we we have some homance merch. Oh, uh, yeah. And like, but not just single for a limited time, right? No, I, occasionally you would like to say that to create urgency so people go buy it though. Right. But well, um, as no, of right have- now, it's existing in my Etsy shop. And yeah, like we have consistent merch. It may not be the same shit all the time, but what's consistency thing is where I'm going. Yes, true, 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 true. <laughs> we'll have limited runs of some dumb shit I've said. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, if you go to, sorry. Yeah, if you go to etsy.com slash shop slash Nicole Bonneville. My shop is called Sassy Sayings and there's a, section for the homeless chronicles there's hoodies t-shirts bags mugs more to come love it thanks for putting that together Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i was really yeah. struggling with the product descript- descriptions um so i 
I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that I was just using artificial intelligence to create those. Um, You shouldn't be ashamed. Well, you know, I am a marketer and I do write as a good portion of my living. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes though, you just need a fucking break. Yeah. For, for those product descriptions, I phoned it in to chat GPT. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, chat GPT is there for a fucking reason. My sister used that shit for her cover letter the other day. I was like, "Mm, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you have to obviously make some modifications, make it sound human, but it gave yeah. me three paragraphs talking about a mug where I was just like, I'm all done. Look at this I'm cool all, mug. <laughs> I'm all cashed out on the descriptors <laughs> here, y'all. I saw a stat the other day that said humans, like, well, not hu- just uh, kids are at the same stress level as mental patients were in the 50s. Hmm. Because so of how much mean, like homework and just everything they general. have to do. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, consider shooters. Like, the school shooters yeah that the bombarding of all like all the media stuff you know and all that fun stuff there wasn't a lot of um scare tactics involved in a lot of things life back then if you imagine Mm. you know advertisement weren't everywhere and it's just a different time so yeah Yeah, there's a lot of exposure for children nowadays yeah a lot of exposure processing maybe on the subconscious and conscious level and then decision making on top of all that while dealing with their generational trauma yeah and social media the toxic world no thanks (laughs) so all my non-children that i have had you're welcome (laughs) what i was thinking about the other day this is totally off base, um, but there's, I don't know. I must've been watching something or heard someone say like, I do all of this to like provide for you, like a parent to a child saying mm-hmm. like, I do. I'm like, Did you I as ask? the parent, yeah. You as the parent decided to have the child. So now why is it the child's burden that you have to provide for it? Like, well, I, I just, yeah. I hate that language. Cause I'm yeah. like. The child didn't choose to be here. <laughs> well, that's the that's the mentality everybody's parents fucking had when we were growing up. Oh, you're lucky I have you have a roof over. Right. Motherfucker, I better. You're the one that brought me into this situation. If I didn't, it'd be fucking pissed. I have no control over this. Nobody does. Well, you do. Fix it. Oh God, I just don't. People understand. I don't think. I honestly don't think mentally I was prepared. I would have been prepared enough to have a child until now. Like I would have mentally needed to be around my forties in my twenties to make a good decision on whether or not to have children. Like, and to, to even have the children with, well, that's not, that's the, that the other thing who the fuck, who the fuck knows. <laughs> if I, mean, I would have had kids with somebody in my 20s, I'd be so pissed. I'd still be attached to them to this day. I'd be oh, I'm so glad they're gone. Salty <laughs> as fuck, bro. I wouldn't talk to them. <laughs> no, no, we would not speak. There would be like, you know, templates for emails, and I would fill in the blanks, additives, and nouns, and objective. Like, I'd just, mad libs them <laughs> and mad libs you the situation and that's how we would talk to each other fuck that if i had to talk to any of those idiots that i dated in my 20s i would probably not be this 
calm and collected all the time. And that's supposed to be a joke because I'm not ever calm and collected. <laughs> What's your Atta Girl? Yeah, you want to know what my Atta Girl is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have been slowly but surely getting my life back from the job that I had that was atrociously awful and horrendous. <laughs> and I've actually actively been able to, and I haven't made this an adder girl yet because I was like, if it's only a week or two old, it's not worth it. But like I've been actively able to work on this hip stretch program that I've purchased a while ago. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I've actually been doing it every day. And it's Good for actually, you. Thanks. It's not hard. It's six to eight minutes a day. So if I can't get this shit accomplished, I'm, there's no hope. So, you know, I figure... So the, it's a like, you know, tension release program. And I will say that it's probably on the less professional, cheaper end. I was trying to support, you know, a up and coming so-and-so. So going through the exercises, I have to imagine it's for people who are not maybe as advanced as I am in terms of like size and limberness, which I'm not very limber. <laughs> But even still, still, I'm feeling a difference. Like I just, I'm genuinely a happier person. When I first started though, it's also supposed to help you release trauma. And there were probably, there was a whole day or two where I was likely releasing that trauma throughout the day because I do them in the morning. I just would cry the whole time. I was fine. I was just crying. Like (laughs) just life was occurring between the tears. It's not for me. I mean, I didn't know, but I'm an immensely happier person after the fact. Okay. Well, that's good. Right. So I'm here for it. So yeah, that's yeah. Girl and I even know. if it is only six to eight minutes every day, right. still committing to do something every day. It's right. very easy to not be like, nah. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, meh, no big deal. But I've made it a little ceremony and I'm happy. Good. Yeah. Add a girl. Thanks. We'll see what happens next week. <laughs> Don't talk like that. That's how that's how you go down the path of and then you just never get back on. Oh no, I'm talking about like how much more crying there will be happening because I'm fairly oh. certain. Because you know, it's like a program. It's gonna take a minute to get y'all limbered up. And then once you get in it, get shit gets deep, like literally deep stretching. So <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to make Seth like sit on me at one point just to get real deep and then it's going to break something. I'm a oh, <laughs> I like break your hip, but break some emotional barrier. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> just winging it over here, y'all. <laughs> oh, man. You make it sound so enticing. It, it is, though. I feel good. Like, good. Yeah. Good for you. I'm All right. Well, if you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe. You can send us a hoe of history to uh, talk about at homancepodcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram at homance underscore chronicles. You can join our uh, closed group on Facebook, the Homance Chronicles, a judgment-free zone. And now you can go shop on Etsy if you just, you know, search my name, Nicole Bonneville. Like the car.
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's uh, ranking yet. If you put in the Homance Chronicles, I'm sure that it has to be because there's probably not very much other stuff there's, that would include Homance on Etsy. But I was going to say you're likely the only person with Homance in their store. Right. But it's new. So sometimes that search engine optimization takes a while to get rolling. So, well, I'm I said, searching it now. So let's optimize, bitches. Okay. Well, nope. Just romance. Nope. You guys got to look up Nicole's name still. <laughs> yeah. That's why I said that. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm making the algorithm work now. I'm doing the Lord's work. That's even Oh, thank you. I even, <laughs> I tried to like spell it wrong a couple of times too. Just because I know people. <laughs> I, it was, I am those people. I am people. <laughs> it me. It was Betty Davis. I said, huh? thanks for listening. Oh yeah, you didn't nothing came through. Your sweet microphone quit working. So yeah. Thanks for showing us Betty Davis in the mm-hmm. power that is. Mm-hmm. Oh man's out.